This podcast is brought to you by MedCloud. Get connected, cyber safe. Hi, everyone, and thanks again for joining us on the Vanguard podcast. Today's guest is Tony Dalwood, who is Chief Executive Officer of a company called Gresham House PLC, and they are a specialist alternative asset manager listed on the London Stock Exchange Alternative Investment Market, or AIM, and from a standing start in December 2014, through a combination of acquisitions and organic growth, the company has grown massively, with now having assets under management of over £3.9 billion. Tony, thanks for joining us this morning. Really good to be here, Scott. Thank you. I'm really pleased you've joined us. And, you know, today's podcast is all about innovation, inspiration, pivoting, and so forth. But you and I have known each other now for over 20 years, scarily enough. And, and we met each other when I came over playing cricket in, in 1998 in Hertfordshire. But what I'd love to do is speak about one of the traits that really resonated with me when we first met, and that was your your leadership and your determination as an individual. Tell me about how you got into the world of finance and the City of London, how that started, and yeah, why did you get into that world? I went to two universities. I had, uh, did economics at Bristol University, and then I was very fortunate to extend that by two years and go and do management studies at Cambridge, a big core of my life was sport. So I had a, a big teamwork ethic. And part of that was always setting goals. You didn't just walk on a, a rugby pitch or a cricket pitch and go, right, why are we here? You always plan and thought what we're here to do. We're here to win. Uh, how do we do that? What are the tactics? And and those two universities gave me the opportunity to look around for a job, uh, the, the one that I was excited about, but also it gave me a career sort of flight path that, that stimulated me. I think finance came in as a result of my my father, who was always in the city as a, as a finance director. And so I, I observed him as I grew up. And also my mother's background was, uh, she was a bit of an entrepreneur, uh, having come over from Ireland. And uh, that made me think, okay, this is the, these combination, these characteristics are quite interesting. So I went, when, when I was at Cambridge, I looked around and there's a lot of work experience. I think that's really important work experience for youngsters when they can, no matter what age, the ability to look at things, um, observe, learn, and then when they can go and talk about things, when they go, they try to get on the career ladder. I, I really would emphasize uh, work experience if you're at school or uni doing that in summer holidays or, or, or whatever, or indeed just entrepreneurial style um, ambitions so that you can talk about it later in life to say, I learned from this or I tried that. Um, because things never just go from A to B in a successful way. You have to learn from your mistakes. It's one of the big, big things that I would recommend. So during during that period, I, I, I got a job after Cambridge in a fund management house, one of the largest fund management houses at UBS or Union Bank of Switzerland called Phillips and Drew PDFM. And I started going from there. I, I think the ability to work in a team was was critical. But I would, if I if I really did emphasize one thing in addition to you know work experiences, set ambitions, look for a goal, and then work out how to get there. So start at the end for what success looks like, and then work backwards. Of how can you get to that goal? That is never obvious, and I I continue to learn. I never stop. Even now, I'm learning things all the time. We'll come to it in a second. I'm sure about different asset classes that we're invested in, and I can tell you, you know, go back ten years, I knew very little on some of these asset classes, but I was a generalist. I knew about investment. Uh, I was able to work with different people and teams and communicate. And I'd like to think uh, reasonably personable as a, that, that allowed people to want to work with me. So in summary, I, I, I was very fortunate to have that ambition set with me from my parents. And then I worked at it when I was at university and, and got work experience and then got on the ladder that here we are 25 years later. 
25 years later, indeed. The thing, I guess, that most people associate with the city is is the Wolf of Wall Street and, and the fun and games and shenanigans that happened in the 80s and 90s. Is that all part of the work experience, Tony? <laughs> there are very uh, many different work verticals within the city and, and the finance. And remember, the city has a core role. It's to provide capital and money for businesses to grow and expand. And that is the heart of what the city and finance is all about. Now, there are working practices which may be greedy. There may be working practices that that push the margins of, of what you would say is, is right. But the reality is the core, the vast majority of what the city is about is to provide for money and capital for these businesses to grow. And by such, these companies then provide employment. People who are going to then socially benefit from all their employment. So that whole knock-on effect and domino effect is something that should not be underestimated. Uh, the benefits of the city and the finance world should should not be forgotten in this. And you can see it even now, the city providing finance for the north and the northern regions in a sense of how to provide levelling up as part of this government's ambitions to grow up up in north new, new industries. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point, actually. And I mean, I made the the Wolf of Wall Street comment in jest because let's face it, all industries have various elements, don't they? But that that's a really good point. I mean, it's it's really key now, especially in the circumstances we're under that the city steps up, and I think the city's doing a wonderful job in doing so, especially the financing options that I've seen for many fledgling businesses, certainly in the technology space over the past, say, six to 12 months, in a really, really difficult economic time. A lot of these companies are actually seeing a lot more interest within their businesses to invest, or certainly a lot more interest from bigger companies to invest in those smaller companies to help them uh, pursue their goals and dreams. And I think that's really something that you've highlighted there. And I think it's really important to understand as well. Yeah, the, the city is at the forefront of internationalization. It's so critical. You know, there's so much information comes into the city before it then spreads out across the UK. And there, and, and it's, it's, not, it's not a coincidence that, you know, the hub of Europe in terms of finance is London. It is a multicultural place with unbelievably capable people who are attracted to it in order to uh, achieve their ambitions and the different skills. I mean, the diversity of skills in the city is immense. And they then they then come together and, and have ambitions and building businesses and building social non-financial businesses as well. Um, and, and I, you know, that, that's yeah. not a coincidence of how successful it is. If you go back hundreds of years, you know, the British, the UK has, has been a trading nation, has evolved from being an industrial nation to a financial nation. It's, it's evolved. And that's as a result of the, the types of people within it being flexible and being able to evolve. And we're in that time now. We're evolving again. Technology, which, you know, if you go back 20 years, the TMT or the technology, media and telecom bubble is well described in history, particularly in the financial market history. But really, it was just the first starts of people going, wow, this technology is going to re revolutionize the world. And let's jump into Vodafone and let's start buying ARM and let's start buying uh, all of these technology companies. Now, it did lead to a bubble, but 20 years later, here we are, it's taken for granted that mobile communication is just part of everyday life. And yet, you know, going back 20 years, it was the, the start of that. Now, we're evolving again. And I think in this world where the government has a very important part to play, regardless of the pandemic, but even more so because of the pandemic, they're having to step up, step in. And I, I think, you know, look at what they do. They're spending more than any even Labour government, let alone a Tory government in history. Mm. Uh, and they're trying to work out. There's, there's no playbook for you. You can't get a book off the shelf and just say, 
ah, oh, this is what we do today during a global pandemic. It, it doesn't work like that. And I think, yeah. you know, the furlough schemes to try and keep people in employment, you know, that's going to come to an end. It's going to cause some issues when it comes to an end, but they've extended it again recently. They, the ability to, 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 to start a national, an infrastructure bank. Very interesting, very positive, constructive. Hopefully that will work as well. But also to try and it's levelling up, starting to move some of the government offices out of outside of London, up to Leeds or up to up to uh, the northeast region. All part of a new thought process in, term, in terms of stimulating industry and, and the economy. And the big part of that will be the, yeah. the, the, um, the use of technology, communications uh, and other in order to grow the business. And the, and the UK is, is a good place for that. And we have within Gresham House the Venture Capital Trust uh, business called Varens Mead. Mm. It encourages uh, investors and, and, and individuals to invest in, in, in tax-efficient wrappers, VCTs, to then get access to small companies, startup companies, development growth companies. Um, and, and we have a great team in our business uh, who, who basically spend their whole time meeting companies, trying to work out which ones to back. Uh, and then doing so and then supporting over a few years and ultimately, you know, hopefully become the, you know, the ASOS of tomorrow or, or uh, you know, the, the Facebook of tomorrow. And that is, that is what that business does. It's incredibly exciting. I would really recommend people, you know, if they are interested in business, to, to look at that type of model and say, how do I learn about some of those businesses? What are the types of things that make those businesses work? Uh, and how do I build a network? And perhaps, you know, that's where sport, in my examples, but others, you know, they expand their networks by being able to be personal, be part of a team. And that, and that, all of those characteristics come together as you then keep learning to grow an ambition. It's a, it's a really good point that you make. You and I met through sport in 1998 when I came over to play cricket. Episode one of the Vanguard podcast was with the owner of Matt Cloud, Ian Vickers, who is an ex-footballer. We just had our previous episode that we had, uh, not last one, but the one before that was with a chap by the name of Rob Scott, who's an ex-Formula One test driver for Ferrari. So it's really interesting that you mentioned sport and sport seems to be the catalyst to everyone we speak to because of that team ethic and that ability to achieve goals or set goals and achieve goals. And then therefore work as a team. One of the things that Rob said to me, Tony, was no one achieves something just by themselves. And you have a wonderful team at Gresham that basically, yes, you manage them. But at the end of the day, it's all about that team working harmoniously to build up a team around you to be able to do and fulfill the the ambitions that you have as a company and yourself, right? Yeah. We want to give these people a platform uh, in order to achieve their ambitions. We, we, we use a phrase, Scott, um, move the needle. We want people to make a difference. And as a part of that, set their goals and ambitions and then make a difference. Because I couldn't think of anything worse in life from looking back and thinking, oh, I didn't really make a difference. And this is what we keep talking to them about, make a difference. How can you make a difference? Set a goal and then let's make that difference. And they can sort of leverage off the whole platform of Gresham House and the network around it, not just the the 130-odd people you see in the business, but also the network around it is considerable. Um, you know, some of the people I work with, you know, in advisory role, we've got the chairman of Lloyd's is on our investment committee, Lloyd's Insurance. We've got some of the people that started up like Made.com and all these great, like, it was part of the last minute.com right at the start, is in our umbrella and in our business. And, and if you then take some great talent that we have in Gresham House and alongside them, this fantastic network, which they can plug into to try and enhance their ambitions and then put alongside that our, let's call it, capital or, or, or money to support them on growing that, that this business, 
all of that comes together in a way which which should be a success. I put a lot of emphasis on those three things of people, strategy, and capital. And those are the three areas that I focus on when, when we look, I look at a business or indeed internally at a unit that I want to grow. And we're, we're doing well. As you rightly say, the ESG or environmental, social and governance aspects has become a massive theme in the last few years. We are well positioned in that. But importantly, there's a long, long, long way to go. And every day it changes. And we're all learning about it and how to measure it and then solve it and complete, you know, go around in circles again, measure it and then solve it again. So there's a long way to go. But but the team in that in Gresham House uh, and the network around it is is something that is established and provides a big value before we even start trying to address these, yeah. these ambitions. Well, well, let's touch on the uh, sustainability side of things for a minute, because one of the things that Gresham House has, I would say, been the forefront of and, and been an innovator within your industry, Oz, of is the investment in sustainability, the, the sustainability industry and, and sustainable businesses like wind farms and forestry and so forth. Tell us about your innovation into going after those investments and why you took that innovative stance to go after that industry. Yeah, there's a story here. I mean, I, as you say, this is the second business I've built in the financial markets. And I observed when I was at Schroeder Ventures and I was running a, a new business for them, public equities that's then evolved into private. And what I observed was the increasing allocations to alternatives. Now, in the old days, go back 30 years, bonds, equities, and cash, maybe with some property, was basically your allocation. If you owned for pension funds or endowments, you would just say, I'll have some bonds, I'll have some equities in the stock market, and I might have some property, and then I'll hold some cash. And that was it. You know, It was how much of those proportions. Yep. You fast forward now, you've got the amount of people, the, the, the percentage of that is allocated to alternatives, and alternatives are private assets typically, You know, whether, whether it be from infrastructure through to private equity, through to real assets um, and some in hedge funds for, for some people. You know, that those are things that didn't exist typically in allocations 30 years ago. They are now core to people's allocations. So I observed that in the early 2000s. And the pivot you refer to was is when I left this uh, Schroeder Ventures and thought, how do we build a business that focuses on capturing this growth in alternatives allocations? And separately, and it was second on the list back in that day because environmental and social and governance aspects was on the list, but not at the top of the list. Yeah. So we had that on our agenda. I led this management buy-in six years ago to a Shell company, Gresham House. And Shell means that it had nothing really in it. It was, it was a £12 million market capitalization business. It had a couple of small properties on it, which wasn't core to us. And then turn it into a business where we could bring in shareholders who wanted to see the growth in these alternatives and, and recognize there was going to be growth, but also recognize some of the ESG aspects. And so they backed us. They gave us some new working capital in order to do that. And we went off on our merry way and we started building organically in certain areas, specialist public equity areas. We bought a platform for forestry and we then scaled that enormously with another act, two acquisitions at Plus Organic. Then we, we bought a renewables business, um, which we then scaled again into battery storage and on wind and on solar. And we started organically with the backing of a local government pension scheme, a sustainable infrastructure business, which also had social and affordable housing. So suddenly we had this, these alternative areas that people never used to really access, but they wanted to mm -hmm. think about putting in their portfolios. And we went, this is our business plan. We will scale each of these areas because they're growing in investor demand and we can capture an early mover advantage on that. 
for two reasons. One is the alternatives aspect is growing, but two is they fit the ESG aspects and credibility very well. You know, there's lots going on in forestry, but you, you don't start from the position of having to greenwash. It is a, a very positive area in order to, to achieve some of your ESG goals. And indeed, there are other things within forestry like carbon credits to offset yeah. people's carbon emissions and, and the generation of carbon credits on the back of forestry. That is going to be another industry in itself in the next few years. So we pivoted Gresham House towards this alternative asset management growth and also played uh, very firmly into what ESG aspects were coming down the pipe. Uh, and that was the big pivot that you refer to back about six years ago when we led the management buy-in. And you fast forward now, as you rightly say, we're in a, we are the largest asset manager in the UK in forestry. We've recently gone to Ireland. We're the largest battery storage producer in the UK. We're number three, I think, in the VCT market uh, with Barron's Mead. So we're really big players in, in some, with market shares in some of these, these interesting asset classes. It's really interesting. And, and we were speaking earlier and you were saying that now some of the bigger boys are now saying, hey, we should get into that as well, right? Yeah. You're seeing M&A pick up as, as, as people going, do I build this organically or can I go and take a good, capable team and business and plug it onto my platform and then help them grow and accelerate. And you're seeing that M&A happening. Yeah. MedCloud. Get connected. CyberSafe is our mantra. From tailored, managed security solutions to our next generation cloud platform, MedCloud will drive your organization forward and help it thrive. You can keep up to date with us in all things cybersecurity by following us on Twitter at metcloud underscore com. We're also on LinkedIn and YouTube. You can find the links to our social media pages and blogs via our website, metcloud.com. That's really interesting to hear that because you know, we don't sit around pubs anymore and talk about finance and so forth, but, you know, out with walks or speaking to friends on virtual calls and people saying, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to invest in M&S anymore. I'n not going to invest in BA anymore because these are they're not happening for us. Where else do we invest our money now? So it's interesting to hear where the bigger boys are putting their money in and, and where the growth is. So I think a lot of people will really take some interest in those comments. A lot of people that listen to this podcast, Tony, are business owners or senior people within technology and other businesses, but mainly technology. And a lot of those companies now are looking to grow their own businesses. Now, whether it's nationally or in their region or whether it's bigger technology companies that want to go into the bigger markets like North America or going to APAC, you know, to the Australian, New Zealand markets and looking for investment. And a lot of people ask me, oh, you know, I want to buy this company or I want to buy that company, but I don't have the equity in my house or we've got a really good business plan. How do we go and raise funds? Perfect question, I think, for someone like yourself. And that is when you're, you and your team are looking for companies to invest in, can you give us some of the key fundamentals that you and your team look for when investing in those companies? I know we've spoken about the industries, but what are the real key elements to those businesses that you say, yes, let's do a really deep due diligence into these organizations because they may have a chance for us to succeed. What are those key elements that you look for when investing in those companies? Yeah, so I'd put them under those three headings I mentioned earlier, people, strategy, and capital. 
So if you start with people, you're looking for people with hunger, dynamism, track records, i.e. they've done something in this space before and you can see they've been successful. And the fact that they are, uh, they have integrity as well. Those types of characteristics are very important. So evaluating the people aspect, including the team. I mean, sorry, you know, it's not just one person, it's that team and that they work together, that they can cope with scaling the business and the pressures that will come and the risks that come with running a business, starting a business. You know, it's a lot of people walk into a business where they're, uh, uh, you know, they don't take the risk. They don't live the 24 seven that, that, that comes with running a business. Mm. And that is a different aspect. And if you, if they're not, you know, they're not willing to, to recognize that that is the type of ups and downs and, and living and breathing, then, you know, is that the type of person that you might want to back knowing that it's going to actually require that type of commitment? So the people aspect is critical. Then you move into the strategy. What are the areas? What is the business plan? Does it make sense? Are the assumptions sensible? Um, and what is the potential scalability of that business? And oh, that's an important point, scalability, mm. so that, that that you can see it going from you know X to 10X by doing you know A, B, and C, whatever A, B, and C may be. And therefore, how do you mitigate uh, the risks but also support the A, B, and C targets that they talked about? And then finally, I mentioned capital. You know, do, does this team and individuals that are in front of you do they have skin in the game? Are they aligned with you? Or is this, you know, you're just putting your money to work, but if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter to them. Does it really matter mm. to them financially as well as morally? So those three things are really in core of any assessment. So if I was talking to people and they were saying, how should I should, you know, put this together? You know, major on, on the team and the people aspects, major on the, the strategy and how you can take this business from X to 10X, profitability, revenue growth, uh, etc. The size of the, the market universe looks like this, and we just need to be a small part of it. You know, that type of analysis is critical. And then finally, come and say, look, we're in it. This is how we started the business. This is what we want. We need to we need to raise X pounds because this is the working capital to get it to to achieve that um, that strategy I've just talked you through. And those three things put into a very simple slide deck, not a fifty page deck. You know, simple six, ten, twelve pages. Put stuff in the want in the appendix, but punchy enough to bid people saying 10 minutes to read and say, hey, I'll get these guys with track records or ambitions. They've got a strategy in an area which is clearly exciting or growing. And thirdly, you know, they're willing to put their own financial uh, resources in alignment with, with us. You know, that if that comes across in 10 minutes, that that's pretty powerful. That, that's actually a really good point because I, I know a lot of these smaller companies that want to grow and have ambitions to go global and have a great USP in regards to the services that they provide. A lot of business owners don't necessarily see what you and I see from an outside point of view either. You know, they see their business and this is the best thing since sliced bread. It's going to be, you know, a hundred million yeah. unicorn in, in five years. And why aren't you investing? The point that you made there, which was really interesting, having spoken to a few of these smaller companies, some of them have said to me, I need to do this. I need to produce this massive document. I need to produce this massive cash flow formula. And I've always said to them, as long as you've got a great story with numbers that are stacked up and expenditure that actually makes sense, you can build the business plan. And you've just absolutely nailed yep. that same philosophy. So I wasn't far away for someone that... Uh, someone that doesn't really know a lot. You know, when I was just focused on the public markets, you know, purely an investment thesis, and, and this is, you know, should be able to be explained within one minute. Yeah. You know, I'm backing these people because of this opportunity and this is the valuation of the opportunity. You know, it's very succinct. Um, you can you can challenge and go into detail, but that uh, an investment thesis needs to be 
quite succinct um, because that's what you're backing at the end of the day. Problems and other issues will arise, but the succinctness of the investment thesis, I always put a lot of emphasis on. Yeah. The the other final point to this, uh, and there's one other question before we go into the quick fire, and I, I really appreciate your time this morning. The um, the final part to that was there's a lot of people that are scared to go out and speak to investment companies because they think they don't need as much money as what investment companies are going to invest into that business. So for instance, they only need 250000 but companies will only invest $5 million plus. Yeah. Can yeah. you give us the basis of Gresham House's business, what you guys look for, and do a little bit of plug on Gresham House and what you know the investment side from your business and also how they can get in touch with you as well? Sure. So when you look, you're talking about small businesses that are at the early stages of growth, that would be fit within our Baronsmead VCT business, mm-hmm. where we have a very capable team that looks to put development and growth capital into earlier stage businesses. So typically, we would be looking for businesses that would have either some form of on the edge of profitability or just profitable. And we would invest typically between half a million and up to seven or eight million would be between that sort of range. So it's a big, big range. Yep. Um, we, yep. we typically won't go for businesses that are pre-revenue. Uh, that would be very unusual if not not happen so we'd look for some sort of revenues yeah. uh, and proof of that so on the cusp of profitability with revenues and we would invest as i say half a million upwards and you know we we have an incredible website if you look at gresham house or gresham house ventures you'll find our team they get through looking at a lot of businesses regularly so do do contact us through that website that's quite easy I think uh, the other aspect uh, outside of us for those sorts of quantum of capital, the the VCT market. There's quite a, there's a number of VCTs, so you can look at around whether it's the likes of Octopus or Albion. There's others, but on top of that, you have uh, high net worth and family offices, and and the, there's a lot of people that out there who want to see deal flow and want to be able to be part of uh, supporting a new business. So. If you can tap into a network, you know, we have an incredible network of people not if the business doesn't fit appropriately for VCT, sometimes we look at putting it around our network who want to see small deal flowing companies. So trying to find a, a network that you can tap into in order to, to access individuals or high net worths or family offices is also another angle, which I would recommend people who are looking for capital to tap into. And that, that capital tends to be less structured, less institutionalized. Uh, and therefore can be smaller yeah. uh, if required. Yeah. Oh, that's that's great advice. That's great advice. And finally, for this part of the podcast, before we get into our quick fire three at the end, I, this is purely out of out of interest, I guess, from from myself and and our listeners. But any notable companies that you've invested in from a, an early stage that have become household names or have become those unicorns that we all look for, or anything like that. Well, I mean, I've, I've been what in, in this for 25 years. And so, you know, some if you go back, to, I wasn't doing private equity 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. But there have been some great companies that, that were listed that we I backed that gone on to become really sizable and uh, good companies like there's a business, listed business called Four Imprint, which does direct marketing across the UK, US yep. and sources from Asia. But it was about 20, 20 odd million pounds back in 2002, three, it must be it must be five, six, seven hundred million now, maybe wow. even more, actually. Uh, it's an incredible business. Um, it's grown. It's a very software-oriented business. It's software allows people to, to supply uh, branded merchandise to companies, and it's an incredible business. Wow. So so there is that. But I'm, I'm working with people who are, like I mentioned earlier, Tom Teichman, who was at, at the start of lastminute.com or made.com. He was there at the start, and he's been involved in some incredible businesses. They've gone on to be, as you say, those unicorns and, and, and done very, very well. 
So look, I'm fortunate to be to be involved in some of this and observed or been part of some of this. But more importantly, I think it's the people around me have done it better than me, frankly. I suppose if I can have a skill, it is to spot the people that are better than me and just back them. And Absolutely. That makes life a lot easier. <laughs> Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. That's a, a great overview there that, that really helps sum up the end of the main questions that I've got for you. What I like to do, Tony, is finish off with a quick fire three. They're, they're questions that we normally yeah. ask our friends and colleagues. And one of the first ones that I like to ask is, what do you wish you knew when you started in your career that you do now? And it can't be, you know, backing Amazon or something like that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't know everything. Yeah. You just keep learning. You don't know everything. Good one. And as a result of that, always recognize there's another side to whatever the view is, that whatever your your conclusion is, there is another potential side. Be aware of it. Yeah, it's a really good one. Really good one. I like that. What's been the greatest innovation in your industry that's affected the way you live or the way you work and so forth. What 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 has been that greatest innovation? The iPhone. The iPhone. The iPhone. Yep. Well, I mean, it's all the upsides we know about the iPhone uh, in terms of real time data, the ability to communicate, information provision, fantastic. The the downsides, of course, it can provide an addiction. <laughs> yeah, like getting up at five o'clock in the morning and coming back to sleep. I I hear you. I do hear you. And finally, for me, you made a, a couple of points earlier about your mum and dad, but let's let's push your mum and dad aside because that, that's great that you've already spoken about them. Who have been the greatest inspiration in your life? Do you have someone that's been a, a fantastic inspiration or do you have a mantra that you live by? So, so it's hard to put, push my parents aside. I, I think they, they were, yep. are, are that inspiration. Yep. But I think if you look, I, came, I said something at the start, which is, you know, move the needle, make a difference. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate to achieve a number of things at school, then into university and then into business. But it's, it's what I've worked out. Set your goals to move the needle. And that would be a mantra that I would say and I'd reiterate. So you can wake up in the morning to be energized to achieve that goal and therefore make a difference. That's brilliant. What a way to finish, Tony. Thank you so much. I know uh, you've got India versus England in the background there, so time to get back and do some work and watch a bit of the cricket as well. But yeah, I've got to turn it off now. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of nuggets in there that, that our listeners will really be keen to to listen to, and I really want to thank you for taking the time out and speaking to me today. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure, Scott. It's good to see you, and uh, I wish we could turn back the clock and play cricket again. Uh, so do I. I don't think our bodies will allow it, but we can turn back the clock when this is all over, and I'll catch up for a beer with you, mate. Look forward to it. All the very best. Cheers. You too. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me, Tony, and speaking about life in the city, building your company and what budding tycoons need to show when pitching their companies to raise investment. Tony raises a couple of great points about goal setting and wanting to strive to make a difference, whether it be in business or just life in general. I know a lot of business owners are looking for investment or growth funding, and Tony's insight into what investment houses look for was fantastic. People, strategy, and capital is important, But for him, it's also about the team and the integrity of that team as well. Thanks for sharing, Tony. Be sure to join us again for the Vanguard podcast, where I'll be speaking to another interesting and inspiring guest. And remember, take care, stay safe, and keep on innovating.